Your answer to the question, where are you going, tells you more about yourself than you will ever know. Your answer to the question, where are you going, tells you more about yourself than you will ever know. There are some who, like Rousseau a few weeks ago, say, where am I going? I'm going my way. I'll just go the direction that I want to go. Others will say, I'm going to be right. And quite often people who think that way um, don't think they're wrong. <laughs> I'm going for personal freedom. Or I'm going to make money. Or I'm going to be famous. Or I'm going to achieve my dreams. Or I'm going to use power to help people. Today's story from Judges chapter 18 is one where a group of supposedly God's people do not like where God has them. They decide to take matters into their own hands and answer the question, where are you going? with this response, wherever we want to go, but we're not staying here. <laughs> Judges chapter 18 is a story that fits right alongside chapter 17. You remember last week at our picnic, I told the story of a fellow named Micah and how he had stolen money from his mother and then he quote-unquote repented and the mother said, we'll devote the whole amount to God, but they only took a small portion of that. And from that, they made a metal image and a graven image and an ephod, which is just a fancy way of saying a way to figure out God's will. And he made his own little weird worship center for him and his family. And he made his son the priest. And then a Levite who is one of the people that are designed by God to lead Israel's people in worship, this Levite comes along and Micah hires him and replaces his son with the Levite at this weird worship center that he has established for his family. Chapter 18 follows on this. And so chapters 17 and 18 go together as one of two stories at the end of Judges to say, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, and these two stories form a crescendo of evil, just how bad it got in Israel. It's not really designed to describe it chronologically. These aren't necessarily the last events that happened chronologically. The author has written these two stories at the end to say, and this is just how bad it was. Some of you will think next week that I should preach with a paper sack over my head because it's such an embarrassing story. But I assure you, the events of today are, of today's passage, are far, far worse of an abomination to God than anything ha that happens in next week's chapter. We're at Judges chapter 18 this morning as we answer this question, where are you going? Uh, 
Well, let's, re- let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll read the first 10 verses, and then as we go along, we'll continue our reading through the chapter. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in, for until then, no inheritance among the tribes had fallen to them. So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Eshtaol, to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. While they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. And they turned aside and said to him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? And he said to them, this is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest. And they said to him, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. Then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people who were there, how they lived in security. After the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. And when they came to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtol, their brothers said to them, what do you report? They said, arise and let us go up against them for we have seen the land and behold, it is very good and will you do nothing? Do not be slow to go to enter in and possess the land. As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is in the earth. Please have a seat. Your answer to the question where you're going tells you more about yourself than you will ever know. Here we are introduced to the setup, discontent with where we are. You ever notice that that's an easy thing to do? No matter where you are, to be able to identify discontent, there's something that's not quite right about this or that, and you see people that can go their whole lives with just discontentments. And in verse 1, we're introduced to this repeated refrain, there was no king, everyone is their own authority, and the tribe of Dan which is the tribe of Samson, remember, who lived between Zorah and Eshtaol. The tribe of Dan is unhappy with their tribal allotment because the Philistines had encroached upon them. If only Samson had been a good judge and actually led people rather than go about his personal vendetta, maybe we wouldn't be here. But Samson did what Samson did, and here we are. No better off for his having been a judge in Israel, and the Danites are enclosed in this little tiny area, and the Philistines are encroaching upon them, and they're not happy. Notice that they don't ask the Lord for help, even though in Joshua 19, verses 41 to 46, it describes the territory where Dan should be. They don't ask God for help. Instead, they say, well, we're not happy where we are. Let's go somewhere else. Notice how it says in verse 1, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. 
<laughs> Isn't that a great phrase? It's like they're just sitting there waiting for it to happen. <laughs> Pretty pathetic, isn't it? And you know I've got a map, right? So here is where they were, and here is where they are going. And on the journey from here up to this far north area, they go through the hill country of Ephraim where they meet up with Micah and the Levite. So it's right on the way on the journey, okay? Um, this is a description of the tribal allotment to Dan, but really all they had was this little tiny outgrowth of this spot right in here, and the Philistines had all the rest of it. And so they're like, let's go up here. There's nobody there except these wealthy people that have a lot of stuff and they don't have any military. So we know it's of God, right? God has given it into your hands is what their spies said. This is the region. Of any place in Israel, this has more water than any spot in Israel. Everywhere else you go, you'll have problems with water. Not here. Because there's springs that spring up and there's runoff from Mount Hermon. And it's just water, 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 water. Do you get the idea there's a lot of water everywhere? And... The end of this story is that they establish a place where they quote-unquote worship the Lord, but it's just in name only. They have this distorted, weird worship, and that distorted, weird worship continues on. And what you see here is the high place at Dan that Jeroboam set up after Solomon. Uh, uh, Solomon's reign was over. And archaeologists have found this, and this weird worship continued on all the way until the Danites were conquered and destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 BC. The setup, oh, and let me show you a couple more pictures. This is Mount Hermon here in the distance. It's kind of a cloudy day, but you can see that. And then Dan is located over here. Um, and I'm taking this picture from the Golan Heights, uh, which is on the border between Israel and Syria, and just turn around and you take the picture of the UN forces assisted by our own Chuck Blystone keeping the peace between Israel and Syria. Okay. Here's the setup. Discontent with where we are. There's no prayer there's no asking God for help and fulfilling the mission that he had given the Danites for the tribal allotment that he had given them. Instead, they assume a posture of knowing that what they want is what God wants, and they talk themselves into it. You ever done that? You're discontent with where you are, and so what you do is you think that what I want must be what God wants, and you talk yourself into thinking that it is indeed God's opinion, and you and God are sharing a view of your present discontent. This is tribal disobedience, corporate sin here. 
in verses 2 through 6, we see God talk, getting a sign that what we want is what God wants. In verse 2, they send five men as spies, just like Moses sent the 12 spies into the land to spy out the land in Numbers 13. They're going to send up five spies up north here to see this purposeful imitation of what had gone on earlier. And in verses 3 and 4, we have this just-so-happened occurrence on their way from the spot where they live to the spot where they want to go, they meet up with Micah at his weird worship center halfway between. And they're going to interpret this as the approval of God. They end up at Micah's house and they meet up with this Levite and apparently, according to verses 3 and 4, they recognize the Levite by his voice. They've met before. It might be because this young Levite is more is famous because of his family, as we'll see in verse 30. It may be because he was a nationwide radio broadcaster. To, no. It, it may be that there was some way in which he had become famous within the southern part of Israel. At any event, they recognize him. And they ask him a series of questions, and he answers them. Notice they don't ask him, hello, this is a weird worship center with a metal image and a carved image and an ephod and weird household gods. Levite, what in the world are you doing here? You should be executed for your blasphemy. This is an abomination. They don't say that. They don't interpret the Levite by the word of God. Instead, they go, oh, hey, Levite, good luck charm here. Let's ask him to inquire the Lord whether the adventure we're on is a good one or not. And so they said to him in verse 5, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey we are, on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest says, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. He inquires. He uses his weird ephod, which gives a yes-no type of answer. And he gives them the answer that they want to hear. This, this is a gross sin far worse than the sin we will look at next week. And I'm telling you right now, you're going to be grossed out by the sin next week. And sadly, we are not as disturbed by the sin this week. And we should be. This tribe, this priest, have done something they shouldn't do. What did Moses say? What did God tell Moses to, uh, in the Ten Commandments? You'll have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven image. And the punishment for it was death. And so far, these Danite spies think that things cannot be going better. It must surely be because God is on their side. They imitated their forefathers by sending out spies. They meet a famous Levite. They ask him for guidance. He gives them the answer that they wanted to hear. How could it, be going, how could it go any better than this? And so, verse 7, they go way up north and they see a great situation. Verses 8 through 10, they go back to Zorah and Eshtaol and they report back to their fellow Danites 
It's all for the taking. It's a great thing. We can go up and take it. You're going to do nothing? Don't be slow to go. Enter in. Possess it. As soon as you go, you'll come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious. And notice, they use the God language. God has given it into your hands. Discontented with where they are, they answer the question, where are you going with? We're going where we want to go. And we think God is behind it. Let's look next at verses 11 through 20. So 600 men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Eshtol and went up and encamped at Kiriat Jerim in Judah. On this account, the place that's called, uh, that place is called Mahane Dan to this day. Behold, it is west of Kiriat Jerim. Uh, they, by the way, the reason for all those directions is just to say this really happened and the names of the places have sustained, and there's still uh, a recollection in the reader's mind to be able to say, oh, yeah, 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 I remember that. I know that. They passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Then the five men who had gone to scout out the country of Laish said to their brothers, do you know that in these houses there are an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a metal image? Now, therefore, consider what you will do. And they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah and asked him about his welfare. Now the 600 men of the Danites, armed with their weapons of war, stood by the entrance of the gate. And the five men who had gone to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, while the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. And when they went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, the priest said to them, what are you doing? And they said to him, keep quiet. Put your hand on your mouth and come with us. And be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be priest to the house of one man or to be priest to a tribe and clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad he took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and went along with the people. This is the superstition. Getting a predicted result means that we are in the right. That's the superstition that people believe. If you get a predicted result, then you must be in the right. Uh, verses 11 through 13, the, the 600 Danite men are on the march. And they arrive at Micah's house again. The five spies see that the weird worship center is there for the taking. And so they take it with the 600 guys standing there, right? I mean, they've got armed uh, backup, and they just take it. And the Levite asks, what are you doing? And they make him, as they say, an offer that he couldn't refuse, right? Well, what are you doing just being the the priest at a weird worship center of one family. And now Micah, he's trying to build this into a village because it says in both verses 16 and 17 that there's a gate to this complex. And so that means there's a bunch of people there that he's kind of gathering in his weird worship center and kind of building a kingdom out of this. And the Danites say, you know, you've got this little pit, small, slim pickings, we're offering you being able to be the priest of a whole tribe in Israel. And the Levite, this priest's heart, verse 20, was glad. And he took the ephod, the household gods, and the carved image. He just took it with him. 
with the Danites. My guess is that this guy is super happy. He has visions of mega ministry in his head. He's thinking, before, I'm just the priest of this little tiny family, but now I'm going to write books, and it's going to say on the back of it, the Levite is a priest to a tribe in Dan of thousands of people. He's got his mega church, and therefore, he must surely be right, right? What could be wrong with that? Getting a predicted result means that we are in the right. How wrong we can be, right? Verses 21 through 26. So they turned and departed, putting the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them. When they had gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house, remember he's building this little village with a gate, these men from these houses near Micah's house were called out and they overtook the people of Dan and they shouted to the people of Dan who turned around and said to Micah, what is the matter with you that you come with such a company? And he said, you take my gods that I made and the priest and go away? And what have I left? How then do you ask me what is the matter with you? And the people of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you, and you lose your life with the lives of your household. Then the people of Dan went their way, and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his home. Now, we've seen the setup, discontent with where we are, we see the superstition, getting a predicted result means that we're in the right. Now we're going to see the senseless debate, uh, arguing over things that do not matter, but they look like they do matter. Uh, I'm convinced that a lot of the arguments that we have in this life, are we're going to look back in heaven and we're going, what a senseless debate that was. Absolutely senseless. So here we have a debate between Micah and these Danites. Micah and his people are not happy, verses 21 to 24. Uh, after all, uh, Micah has made a good living with his weird worship center. It's the beginning of a small town. And he's brought his neighbors to recover what, what he thinks rightly belongs to him. Now, mind you, he had stolen money from his mother. He quote-unquote repented he took a little portion of that, he made these idols, and then he hires a, his son to be the priest, and then when the Levite comes along, he deposes his son and gets the Levite in charge of this weird worship center, but he still thinks he's right. Notice in verse 24, the hilarious indignation of Micah. You should laugh at this. Micah says, you take my gods that I made and the priest, and go away, and what have I left? How then do you ask me what's the matter with you? He's indignant at the loss of the gods that he made. There's something very silly in that, isn't there? The gods that we make, <laughs> they aren't very powerful if they can be stripped from us. They're kind of tiny, tinny gods, aren't they? If they can just get taken away from us. And by the way, 
The gods that you and I make are not very powerful if they can be stripped from us, and they will always be stripped from us. He says, you take my gods and my priest and go away. What do I have left? The Danites say, uh, well, you better be quiet because there's some angry fellows here that are armed, <laughs> and you're going to lose your life and everybody with you. We're just going to kill you all. Micah sees that he's weaker, and he backs down and goes home. In an irony, the guy who had bought his own Levite priest has been outbid, outnumbered, and outgunned. Notice that the argument between the Danite military and Micah feels so important to them. What are they arguing over? They're arguing over a carved image, a metal image, some household gods, an ephod, and a Levite. All of that is worthless. But they think it's the debate of the century, the most important possible issue that anyone can ever face. Because they think the debate is over who will get God with them. From our viewpoint, this looks silly, doesn't it? It's not important at all. It is all silliness, revealing both the Danites and Micah as fools. Verses 27 to 31, but the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him, and they came to Laish to a people quiet and unsuspecting, and struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon and they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beit Rehov. Then they rebuilt the city and lived in it and they named the city Dan after the name of Dan their ancestor who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laish at the first. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. This is the success. Fooling ourselves that success means God's approval. They succeed in their ambition, and so they think that that therefore surely must mean that God approves of me. Uh, after all, they go in there, there's a people unsuspecting, there's no police, and so just like some of the things that we are seeing in the cities across America where the police have now said, well, we're just going to back away, and anybody that comes in to loot, just let them go, that's what the Danites do. They just come into these unsuspecting people, and they take what, what they think belongs to them. And they clean it out. They clean the place out. And they're so proud of themselves. This is in direct violation to instructions in Deuteronomy, which say that you don't go to places where they are unsuspecting, and you don't go places that the Lord didn't direct you to, and you treat other people as your neighbor. And no, they don't do that. And they're so proud of themselves that they've done this thing, that they name the city after their tribe and their ancestor, Dan. That's how proud they are of this 
quote-unquote success they have achieved. The Danites fool themselves into thinking that they have God's blessing in this. They set up Micah's old weird worship site with the carved image and the metal image and the household gods and the ephod and the Levite directs the worship of the Danites and they fool themselves into thinking this is the blessing of God. And they even invoke the the Israelite name of God. They think they're doing everything right. And then there is a dramatic moment of revelation to tell us how bad things have become. Up until now, this priest is unnamed, even though we've had him for two chapters. From 17.1 all the way till the end of chapter 18, this Levite goes unnamed. And then, at the very end of the narrative, we are told his name. His name is Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses. Things have gotten so bad in Israel that a weird worship center has been set up and a priest has been named who just went to the highest bidder and that priest is now revealed as a descendant of Moses himself. Now it could be that the word son just means descendant of and there's several people in between Jonathan and Moses. It could be that Jonathan was the actual grandson of Moses We don't know that for a fact. There are some manuscripts that don't say Moses. Some of your translations may say Manasseh. But I think that is simply a desire to get rid of the embarrassment of having Moses' family named in this mess. I think it actually is Moses. The family of Moses is part of this mess at Dan from the beginning all the way to their captivity. They were doing weird worship center stuff from this point on all the way until they got carried off into captivity in 722 by the the Assyrians. And here's what's the weird kicker of it all. The place that God had given them was a place that only had local enemies. It was like they were on Route 9 from Bloomington to Gibson City, okay? It's just... Just a a minor road as major highways are concerned. And the Danites moved from Route 9 to the Dan Ryan Expressway in Chicago. And it was empty because it was under construction. The Danites went to a major international highway where they were run over by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, by the Egyptians. They just got run over every time they passed through. And I could describe for you, it's in Assyrian records, how Tiglath-Pileser III in 732 BC came and absolutely devastated this town. And how one after another, for the next 10 years, every time the Assyrians came by, they conquered this city, just blew it up. And they were not pretty. They would flay people alive. They would cut people's heads off and stack them in pyramids outside the town to say, the Assyrians were here, pay your taxes next time. 
That was what Dan went from saying, oh man, the Philistines, they're so bad. And they went to that spot and they thought it was God's blessing. This was not God's plan. This was their plan and they thought it was God's because they met with quote-unquote success. There is a better way, the author reminds us. There was the true worship of God at Shiloh in verse 31, but they ignored that completely. Where are you going? You know, success depends on where you're going. The Danites were going for relief from pain. They were going for superstition to know God's will. They were going for an easier life. They were going for what Francis Schaeffer terms personal peace and an affluent lifestyle. That's what they were after. They were tired of fighting Philistines all the time. It cramped their style. They desired lots of the things that get talked about today quite a bit. They wanted freedom from evil people telling them what to do and how to live. That's what the Philistines did. They told them what to do and how to live. They wanted freedom from that. You see how easy it is to justify a wrong and even evil approach and convince yourself that you're doing good? Can you imagine the patriotism about pledging allegiance to the Danite flag here as they seek God's approval with their metal images and carved images and household God with the Levite leading them? They were going against what God clearly directed. They did not ask God for help. Instead, they thought they could go their own way and get God to bless it. Do we do that? In our marriages, do we want what we want and then ask God to give it to us? And if He doesn't, we decide that we're headed another direction. Do we do that in ministry where people meet with, with unbelievable success and they therefore equate success with correctness and they say, how can we go against this? It's so successful. Moving from preaching to meddling, even COVID convictions which there's probably as many different COVID convictions as there are people in this room. It's shocking how Christians have made those absolutes even though Christians disagree with one another over those absolutes. What do we do? All of these questions are answered in this question, where are you going? For Micah, it was going for a phony repentance, a superstitious idea that God will give him what he wants if he just makes the right moves. For the Levite, who of all people ought to have known better, it was going for job security for him and his family and for the success and prestige of others thinking well of him and for anything that looks like a bigger, better deal. And for Dan, it was thinking that God's way 
was not the right way. They said, we don't like where you've put us, God. We're going another direction, and we believe you'll bless us. What a sad indictment. Your answer to the question where you're going tells you more about yourself than you'll ever know. Faith does not save. Isn't that a crazy thought to hear from this pulpit? Faith does not save if the faith is misplaced in the wrong object. If you don't have your faith in Jesus Christ, just having faith, trusting and relying on something, is a road straight to hell. And that's what happens with the Danites. Sincere faith does not save. The Danites were absolutely sincere, but sincere faith is, does not save if it is not in the true God. Sincere faith in the name of the true God does not save if you have imagined that God. And that's what the Danites did. They made an image of God. Today, I want to herald to you, my dear brothers and sisters in the East White Oak family, our faith is placed in Jesus Christ. Amen? Our sincere faith is in the true triune God, one God existing in three persons, and our faith in the true God is not made up. It's born on the pages of Scripture that tell us that Jesus, the God-man, came to this world. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead, and He ever lives to both intercede for us before God's righteous throne and to prepare a place for us. Where are you going? I'm bound for the promised land. That's where we're going, friends. Let all other things Fade into insignificance compared to this truth. Remind yourself daily where you are going. I'd like to ask our worship team to come. We're going to sing a song that relates to this. It's a song by a man named Samuel Stennett, who was a pastor under his father's leadership in 1748. And in 1758, succeeded his father as the pastor of this church in the London area until his death in 1795. So for almost 50 years, he served the Lord in one place. And he wrote this song that I want to share the words with you before we sing it because it answers the question, where are you going? On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. The description of Canaan as you're on the other side of the Jordan is the place of home, the place of rest. And for the people of Israel, it was getting to the promised land. But for us, that's just a metaphor of where we're going. We're going to 
God's new creation. Or all those, or all those wide extended plains shines one eternal day. There God the sun forever reigns and scatters night away. Here's a verse for a pandemic. No chilling winds nor poisonous breath can reach that healthful shore. Sickness and sorrow, pain and death are felt and feared no more. When shall I reach that happy place and be forever blessed? When shall I see my Father's face and in His bosom rest? I am bound. I am bound. Where are you going? I am bound for the promised land. In the original words, there is a question, which is our mission. It's an invitation that we give to everybody else in the world. Oh, who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. Heavenly Father, awaken our souls to the danger of these Danites to think that our discontent with where we are can cause us to justify inventing you or creating things that will make us think that you're behind our wrong actions. Help us to recognize senseless arguments for what they are as we think of eternity. And help us to invite others to join us on the journey to the promised land. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.